Ladies and gentlemen, Beth Parada, the one and only. Wow. Hello, everybody. That is such a lovely introduction, Paul. I appreciate it. And I, and I also uh, am thankful that you gave our team a mention in your morning remarks as well. Well, thank you. Will you, you uh, uh, I will say that that, again, was one of the most profound moments in my 50 years of walking into the, the garage and seeing all these women preparing to race in the Indianapolis 500. Uh, I, I was I, I, I was awestruck and uh, I want to see more of it. So thank I you. I know, yeah, all, you and me both. And and I think obviously what, what I was probably a little bit more profound, Paul, is you know you you were one of the first people I told the idea to how many years ago. So you saw the kind of <laughs> the peaks and valleys and the, the closed doors that I just kept relentlessly knocking on. So it was kind of nice to see it finally come together after, um, after, you know, much, uh, much struggle, but obviously we wouldn't have been there without the help of many other people, you being one of them, obviously Roger Penske being one of them. So I'm certainly grateful that we could do it. And hopefully here's to more, which is why I've invited these ladies to speak with us today, because this is a very different perspective. And so we're going to talk about women in motorsport, but we're going to talk about why it's also, we're going to a little bit about their individual journeys, but why it's good business. Why does this matter? And I know that some people might be a little bit tired about just kind of hearing this over and over again, but we're going to talk about why it actually matters to your bottom line and what you can do in your business to uh, kind of help the cause and how it can maybe grow your audience too. So a little bit of an unusual panel, not just your typical uh, racing driver or racing engineer. We've got the, well, we do have an engineer with us, but we have kind of the business backbone, uh, pro program managers, attorneys, racetrack operators with us today. And so hopefully that's a different angle that people haven't heard yet. Thank you, Beth. We are going to let you uh, take uh, control for the next uh, 50 minutes. All right, thanks so much. Hello, ladies. Oh, wait, you can, uh, uh, how you can all, I think you can unmute yourself. There we are. Hello, hello. 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 So with us today, we have Julie Giese, Lori Everhart, and Alba Cologne. How are you? How was your Thanksgiving? It was fantastic. How was yours? It was good. I mean, it's the off season, but I always laugh at that because especially for people in our roles, there's no such thing as an off season. So it's kind of, adorable because we're all just gunning to get things ready I'm sure with whether the clients that you have or track preparation uh Julie you have an exciting thing coming up this next season we'll talk about too so I'm sure that there's no rest for the weary so let's for the audience at home let's just kind of go around the room and tell a little bit about what your job is now and kind of maybe some a little bit of previous jobs that you held that kind of got you to where you are a little bit of background and then I'm just going to ask you some specific questions kind of about how what we do relates to the industry so Julie let's start with you where did you grow up and how did you find yourself running Phoenix and tell what you do now all right. Well, uh, hello, and thanks uh, for the opportunity to be here. I grew up in uh, central Wisconsin, actually on a dairy farm. Um, I'm a farm girl at heart, and uh, family is still on that dairy farm in Colby, Wisconsin. I grew up a race fan, and uh, I loved watching racing, and in college decided that was what I wanted to do. Um, didn't really know exactly what that meant or how to do it, but I uh, got the opportunity to start at Watkins Glen International in 2001, entry-level PR job, um, and really was just able to kind of find my way through the industry, uh, learned a lot, I had a lot of uh, great mentors and advocates, um, and for the past four years, I have spent um, running Phoenix Raceway as its president, and am now actually currently transitioning to a new role, um, to the new Chicago street race um, and going to help uh, bring that uh, first of its kind event to life. Uh, so right now I'm uh, bouncing between um, Phoenix and Chicago. That is amazing. And I can only imagine any street race for people that have attended street races. It's a, you know, we all know that it's kind of bringing the circus to town, but there's so many added things that you, you, we take for granted, like dealing with the municipalities, the police, all the things that, that you kind of can somewhat overlook when you are just at a purpose-built track, which is, you know, feels like, you know, all, all the uh, amenities are there. Now you've got to bring all the amenities in. So I can't even imagine. So you're not from a racing family, though. 
I'm not. I'm from, uh, again, I come from agriculture, family farm, um, but uh, I would say a racing family from a fan perspective. Um, my dad was a is a big race fan, so grew up watching racing with him. Um, so even though we weren't involved, I went to a lot of races, some short tracks and things growing up and uh, just grew to love it. Absolutely. Lori, how about you? So I know a little bit, I'd love for you to share with everybody sort of your, your path and also a influential woman in your life who also uh, worked in racing for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, uh, Beth, and thank you for everybody having me here. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to discuss. There's a really important topic um, about diversity and inclusion. But yeah, my interest uh, started, my dad took me to the racetrack when I was little, like Julie. My dad was a race fan. Um, and I grew up in Michigan, uh, mid-Michigan, right outside of Michigan International Speedway. And um, when Roger Penske owned the track in the early 70s and the 80s, my mom was his controller there at the Speedway. So I started in racing, uh, was my summertime job in high school. I was assistant to the public relations director, who at the time was uh, a guy named Chris Browning that was the PR director at Michigan, and uh, worked there every summer during high school and in college. Um, and then you remember uh, Roger opened up Nazareth Speedway uh, with Mario Andretti and Jim Williams, which was I was in school in Allentown, Pennsylvania when I was in college. So I said, hey, can I come work with you when you're opening up Nazareth um, and run your uh, media credentials and help in your PR department? So I did that while I was in school. I was uh, when I graduated from undergraduate and I am a kind of an odd duck in motorsports. I'm not technical. I'm a history major and a political science major with a theater background. <laughs> and I went to law school. Um, but I had some mentors in the industry that that led me to pr pursue the law path. So I ended up going to law school, came to Wake Forest University, which is down here. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina now. So Charlotte with a lot of NASCAR business, ended up getting my first job out of law school as in the events department at Charlotte Motor Speedway, working for Humpy Wheeler at the time. And then had a 15-year career with Speed Charlotte Motor Speedway, Speedway Motorsports, and doing the jobs as they became along and was the general counsel of Charlotte Motor Speedway, um, made it, it was promoted to the uh, vice president of communications and general counsel of Speedway Motorsports when it went public um, on the New York Stock Exchange and did all the financial transactions, the mergers and acquisitions, financial transactions. And then the last three years at Speedway Motorsports moved into an operational role, which uh, Julie, I think what you're doing is absolutely fabulous. Since high school, I wanted to be general manager of a super speedway. I took the, the law route and that's what I'm doing now. But I think running a speedway is one of the best, uh, most fun jobs that I've ever had. So did that for three years and then moved back into my legal role and now advise a lot of speedways across the country, race teams, racing drivers, and a lot of companies that are involved in motorsports. So I just I just did the next job that came along that had something interesting that I wanted to do and had a pretty very diverse career, which I'm and I'm super happy about it to be in the position where I am. It's fascinating how our, our, our lives sort of follow different paths. So we probably wouldn't have necessarily plotted out for ourselves, right? Sometimes it's just kind of being open to opportunity as, as it happens. Alba, how about you? Tell, tell the everybody where where you are from and uh, what you studied and and maybe what your original plan was and where you are now. Absolutely, Beth. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here today in this panel, of course, with Laurie and Julie. That, that's a huge honor with the three of you. No, I was born in Spain. I grew up in Puerto Rico. I consider Puerto Rico my, my home. That's where my whole family is. And believe me, racing was never in the picture at all. I decided to become a mechanical engineer because I wanted to be the first female Puerto Rican astronaut. And that was the only reason why I decided to be an engineer. Um, things change in life and I got an opportunity to work on a student project that is called Formula SAE, where you design, build, and raise uh, a small race car. The competition is still, it's still going on in uh, the Michigan International Speedway every year. But I started to work on that project and four years later, General Motors was uh, looking for talent at the competition and they decided to hire me. So never applied for NASA. Um, as you can see, things completely, completely changed. 
um, very still very fascinated with what's going on in the space. But I this has been a journey that I never thought about it. And I have been in racing for more than 20 years. First, uh, General Motors, where I did several positions until my last position, I was as a program manager for the NASCAR Cup Series. And from there, I had the, you know, the honor that Hendrick Motorsports called me uh, for a position here that pretty much is going to be now five years in a couple of months. And I never thought, um, you know, where I was going to be and where I am uh, today in my position, we do many, many things, but one of the cool stuff that I, I love to talk about, and I think that is very fascinating, the way that the world is changing and how the rosters are more locked in the NASCAR Cup Series. Um, there are less people from the race teams that get to go to the track, and most of the engineers stay behind. And we work at the command center, or what we call the team operations center. And with technology, we help our teams to provide them data, communication, and all the information that they need from our race shop. So during the weekends, while uh, many of the guys are at the track, the rest of us are here and is pretty much doing the same job. But here from the shop so it's kind of like how f1 does it people don't realize that there's you know how many people are still back you know whether in england or italy and they're not they're actually not traveling and well at least in in nascar it's all north american time zones it's pretty easy certainly when you have an international calendar you could be you'd be sitting there in front of your laptop at two o'clock in the morning because the race is going on but that's pretty that's also nice for the sake of those that uh, might not their families might not allow for their family situation might not allow for a lot of travel this is a great thing to talk about that now there are more jobs that might be a little family friendly because you're at least uh, not on a plane every week because we all know that that uh, that's one of the tough things about racing in general is you're kind of never home and you're always working on weekends. I don't think any of us have probably ever had a 4th of July at home or a Memorial Day weekend at home um, because we're always we're always at the track. So what I love about all of these varied backgrounds is other than I know that, you know, Alba, you studied engineering because you had a specific plan, but then that changed and you, you kind of pivoted. And also, I mean, we all know so many people that have found their way to racing because of Formula SAE. So certainly can't um, celebrate that enough, that that, what that has done to just introduce people to, to racing. Um, but what I, uh, Julie, what did you study in school? Communications? Agriculture. Right, right. <laughs> my my degree is in broadcasting and film. Um, but what I laugh about is that, you know, we obviously at our core, like anyone in racing, you have to love it, right? You're a fan of it. And you kind of come, come to it in different ways. What, you know, whenever we were introduced to it, something about it clicked for us and made us sort of want to then pursue whatever that path would be. But the, the reason why I wanted us to talk today is because we always talk about, uh, you know, the, the drivers are very visible, of course, and all of the efforts that have happened over the past 30 years to get more women behind the wheel. I think at, those are all important and, and need to continue, and we can definitely do more of that. But I think when we start talking about the reason, like the reason why I started my team, the reason why we now have put together Women in Motorsport North America, which all of you are a part of, um, and we just had our Women with Drive Summit in Charlotte. The next one's going to be in Phoenix, in November 7th and 8th, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. But the reason why we want to kind of lift the veil is that there's so much opportunity here and we're certainly stronger together, but I think that it's really uh, an interesting point to note that as a fan, there's so many ways that you can be part of this because no matter what, I mean, you'd probably have to argue that everyone in it is a fan to start, right? You couldn't do this if you didn't love it because you have to be committed to it. It's like, you know, you'd hope that I used to work for a car company where I remember being so disheartened when I figured when I learned that not everybody I mean I'm talking like a niche car company it was Aston Martin and I remember the day that I figured out that not everybody was a car person that worked there and I thought like I mean I understand if you're like in a mass market company and you're maybe in accounting but like if you're working at Aston Martin and you're not a car person you know why would you be there and I think in racing I think we're kind of uh we luckily work with people that are all fans of it and I think that's kind of where it starts but it's interesting that we all have this circuitous path that kind of got us here so I guess my my question for you guys all now that we kind of know that we all sort of found different ways and we're here is um, why do you think it's good business and and like have you in your particular job and what you what you've done with with the um, you know we, we talk about let's say operating a track for instance Julie you in addition to the actual operations you're always you're also overseeing fan engagement marketing within the community and and that so 
do you see that diversity is something that now is um, critical to sort of the, the, the growth of this sport, or is it just to kind of get us level set to where other sports may have been for the past couple of decades? You know, I mean, I think we've continued to make good strides, but I think it's it's incredibly important because when you come to a race or attend an event, like we want everybody to feel at home um, and, you know, see people that look like them um, and that that they can relate to. And I think for me um, specifically, like in my conversations over the last month or two on Chicago and like talking about all the different ways to be involved in our sport. Um, this, the surprise almost like people, you, you talk about the, the drivers and they're, they're our most visible um, asset and it is a, an entry point. Um, but there's so many different ways that you can get involved. Um, again, I grew up loving racing. Didn't really think that it was something I would ever work in. Honestly, I, again, I grew up on a dairy farm. I was going to work in agriculture the rest of my life. And, um, and similar to Lori, it's like you start to, once you get into this industry, you start to learn um, about just the different opportunities and see paths that you never thought were possible. And I think that's what's so critical for getting anyone involved in the sport is just opening up um, to the different avenues that you can be involved, whether it's um, being a promoter, whether it's being um, on, you know, in the accounting field, in the law field, in the engineering field, just so many different ways that you can participate. Um, that's the thing I've enjoyed the most uh, the last several months, especially talking in Chicago and helping everyone understand um, just the, the really infinite opportunities available to participate and be part of our sport. Um, and if you're not a fan um, right now, like, it's, you know, what, what, what interests you? Um, what are things that are important to you? And I think that's what I've seen, um, just the initiatives that we've really specifically on the NASCAR side from the DNI perspective, um, that's, that has raised interest um, here in the Phoenix market. And it's uh, led to a lot of really positive things. Still a lot more work to do, absolutely. But I'm really excited about the path that we're on right now. Certainly, the uh, it is the only. I mean, we it's the only pro sport at this level. You know, this this large a sport where we can have co-ed teams right now. We don't necessarily have to have a division of league, and that's you know that's unique. And I think something that as an industry we should be leaning into more. And, and again, whether it's the drivers having women and men on the track, but again, when we see that the entire team comprises of all these other roles, but then when we when we just go further further and, and many more rings outside. Then we know that, that you know there are women really in a lot of places. And in fairness, that you know we have been there quietly all along. I think the visibility is what we always say is so key. And it's one of those things that women, as soon as you say visibility, women, we all nod our head because we all probably have an experience. We have an experience like that in our own past where we can see it. But now we're we're, we're more visible and purposely more visible. I mean. Most engineers, mechanics are used to being behind the scenes and not calling attention to themselves. And it's very, and same thing with a track operator or an attorney, you're, you know, your, your names aren't the first, you know, lead in, in the story, but now we're trying to at least um, be a little bit more visible, but might be uncomfortable at first, but we're seeing why that matters. Alba, I just saw this that wonderful post by the gentleman who met you at the hall of fame and re referencing about how he's a father of daughters and how he, uh, I believe he's also a professional engineer, a Hispanic professional engineer, and seeing you gave him such joy that he could point for his daughters to kind of see a visible example. Do you have stories like that? I mean, we know that you didn't see or didn't see other race engineers when you were a kid, but now I'm sure there's people that reach out to you. Do you have examples of that? Yes, and and Beth, it's a huge honor. It's a huge honor, and and you know you never think about it when people stop you at the track, and not even at the track, you know, in other places, and and they mention you know you know in a specific item that you did, you don't realize how much people are watching what you're doing. It's not only the drivers, but they are watching, and specifically us women, what we are doing. You know, and I remember like an example. I I did not meet another engineer when I grew up, but. You know, I wanted to be, like I told you, I wanted to be an astronaut because Sally Wright was that person that I was admiring. But I always thought, wow, it would have been nice to see another female engineer uh, in person and to ask all these questions that I that I had. And I feel an obligation right now. Not an obligation. I feel like it's a privilege. It's a privilege that now 
you know, young girls can see other examples and they can ask questions. And, you know, that somebody stop you and ask you a question, hey, how can I get to your position? Or how can I get to something like that? It's a huge honor. And we Absolutely. are we have been blessed and, and to have these mediums to be able to, to talk about that. But, um, but, but let me tell you, I, I just was in a conference of Hispanics, um, the Society of Hispanic Engineers. There were more than 5,000 aspiring Hispanic young engineers that want to work on these kind of events. And there were other 1,000 professionals. And you know, to be a stop and that somebody said, oh, I have followed your career and you don't even think about it because for me, this is so normal. But it make you think about it. It make you right. think about how privileged you are. And that is our job to help the next generation to get to where we are. How do you feel about now that there are companies, companies that we've worked with before, that companies that we know are visible in business and they're, they're making these um, pronouncements or efforts about increasing diversity? And I want to make sure, I mean, this is the, I think this is a typical woman reaction. Would love your thoughts, Lori, when you see that, um, there's there's always pushback to want to make sure everybody wants to make sure that it's the best candidate, right? Of course, it's the best candidate because you still need to be able to do the work. And I think that's one thing that is great about whether you're at the top of the business chain or you're you're working for a race team. This doesn't really have room for people that aren't at the top of their game. But when we see these sort of efforts, um, what do you say when you see the, any kind of pushback? How, how, how do you feel about that? And how should we manage that so that it's really just positive going forward? Oh, you're muted. Sorry, I'm off mute. So I, I think that when you are faced with that pushback about are there enough qualified candidates or are there enough people to fill all the seats, I think if you don't take a broad perspective of diversity and inclusion, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, you automatically are not employing 50% of the population. And if you limit that by race, you're already dealing with less than 50% of the population. So it just makes logical sense that the wider you cast your net, the more qualified people that you're going to find, um, the brightest and best minds you want working for your organization, whether it's a racing team or whether it's a speedway or whether it's a professional organization. You want the brightest and best because that's going to be your competitive advantage. So I think it's I think it's contrary to the national narrative to be pushing back on diversity, equity, inclusion. You can find the qualified candidates. I mean, there are scientific studies done, and I wish I had one to quote uh, out there, but there, was, there were studies done by Harvard, uh, Ivy League school, in scientific groups. And in scientific groups, when they're trying to prove a hypothesis true or not true, if they were all the same race, and gender, they had less, uh, they were cited less in scholarly um, journals going forward. When they had a more diverse population that was involved in their scientific group, their article got cited more. And the more sites you have, I mean, the more people are looking at it, the more um, people are looking at your research. So these scientists produced better research because they had a diverse board, they had diverse perspectives. And I know that's been true at the board level too. It's true. And people need to embrace it and say, hey, we're looking for the brightest and best minds. I don't, mm -hmm. care, don't care what sex, don't care what color, don't care yellow, green, blue, orange, whoever they are. You mm -hmm. want the brightest in people working for your organization. And that, that's my viewpoint. I think you could say that certainly race teams, we know that, I mean, that's the, the driver of all of this is racing and race teams, race cars. And it's always getting to be the fastest, the best, you know, and, and all of that is wanting to have, you know, new perspective um, because if we're always doing things the way they were, I mean, race racers as a culture, all of us who we're all racers, right? Anybody that's in this business is still a racer at heart because we're kind of, we probably have, we all have the same personality type, which, which draws us to it. And it's that quest for perfection, pushing ourselves, let alone pushing, you know, as part of a team, but yeah, the, the wide perspective, we don't, the idea of, oh, we always done it this way is nothing that a racer really ever says, because they're always just trying to find the newest and the best. So to that point, I think that's the one thing that I want to make sure that we're always careful of is all of these efforts of now being more visible and making sure that we're deliberate in being visible. But the idea is that we're trying to reach younger people so that we're getting them on the path so that they are viable candidates. It's not about just um, you know, wanting to make sure that we're hiring anybody for the sake of it. It's making sure that we're making 
getting people to the point of where they're qualified for all of these jobs. And I think that's a distinction that these aren't just hiring people for the sake of hiring people. But the reason the, the, the reason for wanting to have this great cross section is exactly that. It's that audience growth and the, the idea that people need to see themselves, people seeing themselves just to buy a ticket as a fan or to see themselves and maybe aspire to do this for a living. And so they at when they're 12 years old and they see Alba when the when the TV camera pans, that matters and it and it resonates differently. Um, have I want to ask this of each of you, have you had a mentor that has helped you, a specific mentor that's helped you along the way? And have you mentored others? Julie? I've had a number of mentors and it's interesting because um, you know, looking back at the time, it didn't occur to me like what was happening or who was my advocates. Looking back now though, it's so many people, I, I think about my very first job, not in racing, honestly, coming out of college, um, a woman by the name of Nancy Johnson, who um, saw, saw potential in me, hired me at an advertising agency. And, but she, and I worked on the agriculture business, but she knew I had a love for racing and like worked hard to help me just keep pushing forward on that. And if I had a dream, like, don't give up on it. Um, and, you know, she was a, a strong leader and I learned so much from her in the two years that I worked with her. Um, and when, an op when the opportunity to move to Watkins Glen came up, I mean, she was my biggest cheerleader and I still, that was, 20 plus years ago, we still keep in touch. Um, and I just like, I'm so grateful and thankful for that, for those two years, not even in the race industry that really just helped set me up for where I am uh, today. And, and uh, mentoring people is, is something that I truly love. Um, I take an active role in that, not only just here within the, the team um, that we have, but in the community, um, I'm get to be part of a group uh, wise here in Arizona and have uh, part of the mentorship program that they have, which has been, I get as much, probably more honestly out of it um, than, uh, than my mentee is uh, Danique Chamberlain, who uh, works at State Farm Stadium in the sports industry, um, just dynamic, like wonderful individual with a ton of potential. And I find myself learning from her in those conversations um, just as much as I'm sure she says she's learning from me. Right. Uh, so to me, it, it's just incredibly important um, and I'm, again, I'm grateful for all the opportunities, uh, that I've had along the way. Yeah. I think we, it can't be, it's one thing to have, a, uh, also peer to peer mentors, you know, maybe a mentor of someone else who's kind of in a, in a similar role that you can kind of bounce ideas off of who isn't necessarily, you know, who could be a little bit more subjective because they don't, you know, they're not, you know, in, in your office every day either. It's, it's invaluable. How about you, Lori? Have you had mentors? Towards, and I was very fortunate um, when I was at a Speedway organization that had a very, very um, <clears throat> really sponsor advocate that allowed me into positions that no other woman had been in that allowed me, took me into meetings where I was a very junior person on the management team, but took me into meetings and say, hey, learn as much as you can, or gave me the visibility to be able to um, to find the next promotion, to find the next place to go. So I had a very, very strong advocate and I'm very, very thankful to him for really putting me on a projection where I could learn a lot of different things and make a lot of mistakes in an atmosphere where it was a, it really was a coaching atmosphere of, of really a business coach. Try this, if you fumble or if you hit the wall, to have the right reference, you know, let's, let's figure out how to do it. So I had a really, really good mentor, uh, Humpy Wheeler at the Speedway. That was an amazing uh, mentor, an amazing man. And so one of my, my best friends today. Um, <clears throat> and then I've been very fortunate to have other mentors along the way outside of racing. Yep. And yeah. some, um, a, a woman, Kathy Bassana, Bank of America is a, a friend of mine, and I've known her all the way through her career. And she's really an amazing person. She's done a lot. She's one of the top 10 bankers in the country and just having somebody outside of the motorsport industry and his business perspective, just to, to, to talk about, to bounce things off, to make sure just, just to somebody to check in with. And so I'm a big fan of having those mentors coming up. I wish I had more. Um, I probably would have benefited from it if I had more, if I could find some other uh, people that I could, um, could work with into developing my skill set and, and visibility. 
And I do strongly believe now that I'm in my career and I'm a different position, I do feel strongly. I participate, Julie, in the WISE mentoring program, also Sports Business Journal through CSM, through the Game Changers program. They have a mentoring program that I'm actively involved in with the Actually, Alba, one of your co-mates, Olivia, Olivia um, Massimo, she's at uh, Hendrick Motorsports. She's delightful. Um, so trying to give back and help other young women just navigate those things that come up. And so I'm a huge believer in mentorship on the way up. And then I'm a huge believer in once you're up on yeah. the way, lifting others up, because that's the only way we can. That's the only what I can do personally to change the DEI is to make sure that I'm helping other people come up. Exactly. I, I had a sports business journal mentorship thing as well. Um, I, it was a great program. I was matched with a young woman from minor league baseball. And so it was actually great because it was different sports, but we could still kind of have that to, to bond with. And uh, bless her, her name is Belisha Montgomery. She um, she wanted to actually eventually leaving minor league baseball, but um, she helped my team last year in 2021, which was great. I kind of, I absolutely, you know, stole her to uh, borrow some of her time, which was really great and, and got her to be a racing fan, right? Which we always love when we can kind of convert somebody. But um, I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's it's the idea of, and I think the key, the key too is um, for everybody, I would I would encourage everyone as well to have a mentor, ask somebody to be your mentor. If you don't know how to get a mentor, you can ask somebody to be your mentor. I think it's also good to have a, a male mentor, a female mentor. They're both, they're both helpful for different reasons. Alba, when you were at General Motors, because it's such a dynamic company, did they have, um, did you have a specific sort of a, a mentorship or training track that you were part of through, because I certainly would like to, um, you know, some of these, some, many large companies do a very good job about, about you know, identifying uh, talent and making sure that you kind of have access to some of the broad resources of the company. Did you have that at General Motors? So you know what, that exists in General, in General Motors, and now they have a more defined program. But when, when I started, that was not really, that, that really didn't happen. So I, I took very informally opportunity to talk to other females that were doing uh, really good at General Motors. And, and talk to them, but now there's a more defined role. And I wish I would have known some of those things when I was there, you know, to make it a little bit more formal. But with that, with that said, I, I am still in contact with a professor from college that for me has been a mentor. He was the one that helped me make that decision when I was leaving Puerto Rico to come here. You know, the, the, once again, another country, another I know right. I call it another weather, another, right. <laughs> another language. Right. To Michigan. Right. right. Yeah, moving to Michigan. But he helped me and I keep in touch with him. And I keep asking the questions to him. And, and, and I feel so comfortable going back and forward. Interesting right. enough, now he asked me questions too. So it has become a peer to peer right. in, in some way. Also, I have another person here in the leadership that I feel very comfortable at Hendrick Motorsports that's great who ask to ask questions but something that Julian and Laurie said I they to do the job now for others I think that is so satisfying and and like an example I believe a lot about getting interns interns mm -hmm. here interns in another companies and to help them to figure out first of all is racing the right place for you uh, because it's better to figure out that in two or three months in racing that after you have graduated right. and you have your, your career here. Um, but, you know, to talk to them not only about careers, what else do they want to do? And to keep in touch with them. When you become a mentor um, for others, this is a commitment. It's a commitment. And, and I want to see them growing. I want to see them not only professionally, but also personally. And it has been a huge satisfaction for me to see, to see that and to keep in touch with interns that I had many, many years ago that are succeeding now. And that you receive that call and tell you, hey, this is what I am doing right now. So it's, it's a very satisfying idea. But again, it's about doing the right thing to help the next generation, something that I'm very passionate, passionate about to do. Absolutely. I think if everybody just even helped a little, it would make such a big difference. Absolutely. So Alba, one question, that professor, uh, has he ever come to one of your races? No, no, he has never come to one <laughs> of the races. You know, well, I need to work on that. Yes. Okay. I need, when I see he needs him to see like the results of his, his, his uh, tutelage of so no, many years. He follows, he follows the yeah. racing, but he hasn't come on one. No, He's but, gotta be there. but it, it's, it's, 
it's such a big deal that somebody has followed your career for so long right and that they still have an interest to help you and support right. you Absolutely. And obviously I can imagine, I'm sure you're somebody that he, he points to, right. When he can, he can point to you as an example. And so it's that it's probably, you know, been a hundredfold of, of you're just passing through the, the halls of that school. So that's wonderful. Um, now we were talking about, um, so somebody had asked in the questions here, if, uh, women have made that, so women have made strides in Europe, who's saying at saying in uh, engineering and, and even on the wall, making strategic calls. The question is, are women in the U S getting involved in the race and engineering, engineering support aspects of racing? Um, I certainly know the answer to that, but Alba, do you want to speak to that? We know that, um, women, what women are doing in, in the U S on the technical side. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I want to tell you a couple of things. Um, you know, the, the head of our vehicle engineering department here is a female. Not too many people know, know about that. Many of the, of the great designers, people that um, other ladies are working on software engineering and so on. But we have other examples of other teams. Um, you can see that, uh, you know, they, they Indy 500, they, the winner for this year, the engineer and yeah. the strategist was a female and she has done an amazing an amazing job and there's other females um, on other teams that have um, called a strategy and help the teams also so maybe people don't see that too much but they are making the strides here in the united states absolutely i think racing in general we can do better with the storytelling because i think you know when we see you, you, we all we all know that the drive to survive effect this great documentary series about formula 1 and part of why it is appealing of course is because it's showing more than the driver and showing all the, the personalities and characters involved in, in getting the, the car on the grid. You could probably make a reality show about most of our teams, including the people that are running racetracks. Um, but to that point, though, to see that that depth of uh, how many people it actually takes and, and the fact that there are, there are women kind of kind of everywhere. Um, but yeah, Angela Ashmore, who was the engineer on Marcus Erickson's car, she and I actually used to work together at Fiat Chrysler on the SRT brand. So it's funny that, you know, usually the women, we kind of all know each other a little bit. I remember years ago meeting with you, Alba, when we were at GM and, and talking to you early on to get some advice from you. And then it was probably you know, within a year or so that you would love to go to Hendrick after that. But it's funny how there are so few of us that we tend to, once we meet each other, we tend to kind of know of each other. And hopefully we're now being better about helping each other. You know, I, I make the comment that for years, it used to be that it would only be, you know, using the proverbial boardroom that there may be one woman on the board uh, of an of a executive team. And so it was always like the women were fighting the other women for that one seat on the board instead of, and, and we were doing it to ourselves, you know, seeing that our competition was each other instead of just the general population. And hopefully what's been happening in the past few years and will we'll continue or that, that, that those, those days are behind us. And we realize that we can help each other out and that we can, uh, whether it is by mentoring or referring people to other jobs and, and celebrating each other's success and that that actually is better in the long run for all of us instead of thinking that we um, are, you know, competing over a very small, you know, job opportunity, jobs pool. We mentioned that we had that the summit in Charlotte this year. So we, um, just a bit of background, we did an, announce it on EPAR Trade in April. So Lynn St. James and I in uh, 2021, um, we've been kind of talking about it for, for a while, but kind of put our heads together and said, okay, let's try to make a, a community for all the women in racing that we can, you know, all the women in professional racing, um, all disciplines, all roles, and just really kind of formalize a network so that we can have these resources, whether it be list to job, you know, job listings, educational programs, mentors, um, and, and sharing best practices and building this network, kind of formalizing a network so that we can all know where we can reach out when we need to. So we created Women in Motorsports North America, which the website is womeninmotorsportsna.com. We had our, um, so our our first summit was in Nashville last year. It was smaller than we had just in Charlotte this year, October fifth and sixth, and this coming the next next year, October uh, in I'm sorry, November seventh and eighth in Phoenix, uh, open to anybody. Sorry, and we also had men in the audience too. That we want to make sure that we're not minimizing that we need these our male allies who have been there all along and have been advocates in our own careers and uh, consistently value why inclusion is important, but. Uh, can each of you talk about uh, sort of your takeaway quickly of what you thought uh, of this year's summit and what we think we should put together for next year's summit and, and maybe for those in the audience that are would like to join us, um, what, what the value for them could may be? Julie? 
Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend the summit this year. I thought you were on day one. I was only no, on day two. I was trying to get there. It was in the middle of uh, some of the Chicago announcements, um, but um, I kept in touch with Lynn and Cindy, and um, and it sounded like it was. And it, we actually had somebody from Phoenix Raceway yeah. uh, attend on my behalf, and she came back just. Um, couldn't say enough amazing things about just being in the room, honestly. And um, I, I think, uh, Beth, you talked about it earlier, just telling these stories and um, awareness about um, the women that are in the sport. Like, like there's a lot of really great stories um, and a lot of uh, tremendous experience. Um, we have a few obviously here on the on this panel today, but there's just so many amazing stories and that's the thing that I've enjoyed most um, the last several years, especially is just getting to know more people hearing um, how everyone got to where they are. Um, we all do share that passion, but the, the path to get here is so unique and so different. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I feel like it is so relatable because we all have kind of you know, weaved our way through this sport in, in different ways. Um, and so I'm looking forward to attending next year's summit in Phoenix. Uh, we're excited that we have the opportunity to host it um, right after NASCAR championship weekend um, should be an absolutely tremendous event. Yeah, hopefully uh, attendance will be strong because people can just tack on a couple extra days after the finale mm -hmm. race. Yes. Lori, what did you think? It was in your backyard, so it was easy for you. <clears throat> It was in my backyard and I thought it was fantastic. I thought that there was such great energy in the room. The panelists were amazing. The panel discussions were informative. I thought that it really tapped into the energy of um, people want to belong. They want to be somewhere where they feel there's other people like them in the room. And I think what it really tapped into in my mind was the similar humanity of women competing in motorsports. To your earlier point, Beth, it's a very competitive sport. We're mm -hmm. not here because it's easy, right? We're here because it's hard. Um, if this was easy, everybody would do it. And right. it's 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 a hard. I we you work weekends, you work holidays, you you're on call. You have to be bigger, faster. Not not bigger. That's you know you have to be faster. You have to be quicker. You have to be uh, stronger. You know brains over whatever it is. You're so competitive if you're in this business. And I think it was interesting to be, from my perspective, to be in another room with women that are equally competitive, are equally as driven to do what they want to do, but then have a lot of the same the same issues. Mm -hmm. Oh, this happened to me. Oh yeah, that happened to me too. You know, let's try, try a different way or do something different. Oh yeah. I saw that before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I heard that, you know, the similarity of the humanity, the human experience right. of being involved in this industry that we love called motorsports to me, what was so impressed upon me. And I'm glad that we're doing it next year. I'm glad that we're moving it around. I'm really honored to be a part of the women in uh, motorsports in North America. I think it's a fantastic um, organization and, and movement that can actually um, bring change to our industry. And that's something that's worthwhile to do and to strive for. Absolutely. Lynn and I are, uh, both are represent different things for the, the global FIA Women in Motorsport Commission. And I will say that we're definitely um, other areas of the world are looking at, at what we're doing with in North America, because it's just nice that we're finally um, just or putting putting some organization to it so that we can kind of, you know, I think a lot of us have had good ideas, but it's nice to kind of, you know, sit in a room together and 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 have progress and also um and respectfully it's still evolving you know so this is still a new organization we're open to suggestions it's really meant to just be a resource and you know we're we're just hopefully with every passing you know month we're getting better and better you know with it and, and for everybody that's a participant Alba what did you think and would you recommend who would you recommend should attend next year no first of all Beth it was very very inspiring very inspiring you know same from seeing women that we admire because it doesn't right. matter that we're in this business there are women there that we admire so much to have the opportunity to see them to to hear them and to talk to them that was a right. big deal for me to see other people also i saw young students that want to be in the business and they they took it on themselves to apply to go to the to go to the event and i saw them talking to the everybody in the room 
trying to learn more. That for me was like fantastic. And also the leadership. We had the top leadership of every sanctioning body there. And they, they were very key about, they want to continue supporting us. They want to make sure that we're represented. They were listening ideas that everybody had. And that for me was, a, that was very big, very big. You know, I, you know, I think that we need to, uh, was limited, right? Because the number of, because the room of how many people could right. come. So right. to see to see more people will be will be fantastic. To see perhaps the I you know it's, it's a passion of mine always Formula One to see some of the leadership of Formula One and and see yes. some of the items in the car and and things like that. But I I will tell you every day that I left there I was like wow I love what I do. Yeah, we all you know it's not always perfect at work, and everybody can tell you that there are days that are very rough but you left that place every day knowing, wow, we have been blessed with the sport that we are in, yes. with what we are doing, and to continue, you know, supporting not only this group, but supporting the sport that we're yes. all involved on. So, hey, can we make it more people, double the people the next year? <laughs> okay. Yes. And, yes. But um, fantastic. Um, I was privileged to uh, be involved in some of the, of putting together the event with Cindy, and um, making sure, you know, to visit some of the places. I think that being in Phoenix, we can get an opportunity to visit uh, some other places that, yeah. and, and to learn more, to learn more about the industry. So I am excited and I want to start to work on the next year event. So. Absolutely. People are going to travel from all over for the uh, North Carolina event. Only 67% were from North Carolina. So we had some people traveling in from all over North America. The venue in Phoenix is larger, though, too, than what we had in Charlotte. So although we were about 320 people, let's say, in, in Charlotte, our venue in Phoenix, uh, thank you, Julie, is uh, can hold 1,500. So hopefully we'll, we'll grow there. Now, I think the thing that I just want to make sure that we, we kind of end on is... We know that there's, a. I mean, I presume it's the same for you. We're all sort of in the same boat here with a labor shortage. There is, it's tough. The, the labor market is tight. So when we talk about, we talk about diversity and inclusion as good business. And we say that, as we said earlier, it's because of the, the broad perspectives. We know that even of Fortune 500 companies, when you look at uh, the diversity within the um you know, boardrooms that have diversity are usually the, those companies are, are more successful for the reasons that we even stated earlier. So because we have, we're, we're faced with a, a labor shortage, I know that we have that in many paddocks, many racetracks right now. We know that the idea of casting this wider net is probably something that all of us are, and every company hopefully out there is now more keen to do instead of just, you know, maybe going with, you know, a friend of a friend, we can actually put some job posting postings out there. But I'm reminded when we started, we talked about what we studied, agriculture, or, you know, if we're talking about theater or broadcasting and film, I mean, these are things that are not on paper that look like a specific candidate. So I always am fond of saying, take a chance on somebody that doesn't look like you. And I think each of us is an example of maybe somebody that might've been a non-traditional candidate who walked in the door. And then here we are looking back, all of us with a long, consistent career of excellence and success and hard work and promotion, um, being part of winning teams, executing things at the highest level. So to make it distillable for everybody that's watching for their own company at home, what's one thing that they could do maybe to be more inclusive as they look to hire? Lori, what do you think? I think that to be more inclusive, to be more inclusive, number one, it, it cast a wide net in your, be willing to take a chance on somebody that doesn't look like the person sitting next to you, the person across the office from you. And I think that in hiring folks, in my own practice, I would rather have somebody that has fire in the belly. Yeah, you need special skills to be a lawyer. You need that. But I would rather have somebody that has fire in the belly and passion for what they're doing and is a problem solver and can learn things. I can teach them whatever else they need to know. Julie, when I was in your position running operations at Charlotte Motor Speedway, I was like, I just I need somebody that can problem solve, that can is resourceful. I'll teach them how to sell a ticket. I'll teach them how to do. I'll teach them how to. I'll teach them how to do everything else. And so I think if we're looking for the ability to take a chance on somebody, but also if you take a chance on somebody, be willing to mentor that person. There right. may be some things with that person that you have to you have to train on that you wouldn't otherwise have to train on. 
um, things about office culture or things about your particular office culture or those kinds of things. Um, so take a chance on somebody, look for somebody with passion in the belly and, and help that person acclimate to the new, um, to the culture. And I think they could be more successful retaining those employees. Uh, McKinsey did a study. McKinsey did a study on re employee retention. We all have that problem, right? right? Hard to hire people across the board. Right. It's hard to hire people. People that feel included are two times more likely to stay with their employer. If they don't feel included, they're three times likely to leave. Wow. People want to be included. Right. Invite somebody to lunch, to coffee, to do, but they want to be included. Right. Make sure that they know that they're invited to the meeting. Don't assume that they know yes. they're invited to the meeting. Make sure that they know. And, it, right. you know, and having somebody feel included doesn't really cost much, right? But the cost of losing employee costs, so, you know, obviously hits our bottom line so much. So this is, that's a critical, you know, a critical miss if somebody's not aware of that. Alba, what do you think is one thing somebody can do at, as an employer to, uh, to be inclusive? Yeah, I, I would say it's to be open-minded. And I remember that on everything that I do, you know, one thing that I believe, a couple of things, um, Diversity of thought is very important. And one of you said that earlier uh, in the conversation. Diversity of thought, you know, if you have everybody thinking the same, you're not going to go ahead. Different people, different cultures, it helps you. For me, the cultural fit is important. When I mean cultural fit, I mean in this business to have the passion, to have the attitude, to be inventive, to be curious, and to do whatever it takes to do, you know, to advance, to advance the team. So, um, you know, I used to, in the past, let's be honest, focus on, on, on the engineering degree. They were mechanical and so on. But now, several years ago, I have been more open. It's about finding something in that resume and calling people. The resume can tell you one thing, but after you sit down with the, with the person and see what's going on and, and understand the passion, th that is where you really figure out if this person is, is a right fit or not. Let me tell you one thing to hire the right person is way more important than many other things that you do. If you hire the right candidate, if you are intentional about hiring the right candidate, if you spend the time doing that, at the end, it will work out for you, like Laurie said. So recruiting cannot be only the HR department. We all have to be involved on the recruiting of the right candidate. So uh, involve all your people, not only HR, involve everybody in the company, listen and be open, be open to any, any background, because like you said, look at the backgrounds here and look at how successful, you know, the three of you are. So um, it's just being open-minded, open-minded that for me is, is the key, but be very intentional and spend the time. Recruiting is very serious business. I think that's a really great way to frame it to remind everybody in the audience that when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, it's about diversity of thought. It's that you're growing your ability as a business, whatever that business is, whether you're a part supplier, whether you're a race team, whether you're a, a, a racetrack. Uh, the idea that you have different perspectives around the table is going to make your business better. And so that's really what you're hiring is you're hiring a different perspective. And that actually is going to is going to help you out. Julie, what do you think when you're even and now, right, you're probably hiring a lot of people in the middle of hiring a lot of people for this Chicago road race. What is the date of the Chicago road race? July 1st and 2nd. Okay. And... I, is that maybe mid Ohio weekend? I will try to be at both. I can maybe drive from mid Ohio to Chicago. What uh, when you look at candidates? What are, what would you think, or if it, or would you recommend to other people hiring? What's one thing they they can do to improve their inclusion? You know, a lot of what Lori and Elba said are things that came to mind immediately for me. Um, you know, the things that I am like finding someone that has those intangibles, passion. Like you can, to Lori's point, you can teach. A lot of things to people you can't teach work ethic, work ethic some and right. like that passion and finding those people but for me um specifically in phoenix like good like don't wait for everyone to come to you um i'm very like i'm i'm a promoter so right. we're out um out in the market and telling the story and whether we have an opening at that moment or not um just making sure that everyone understands 
what's important to us? What is like, what is it that we do every day? How can you be involved? Um, and I spend a lot of time at the, some of the local colleges and universities, just talking to classes and helping them understand what it is that we do. Um, we're in a market with football and basketball and baseball and, right. you know, spring training and everything else and all these opportunities to get involved in sports and NASCAR isn't something that always comes to mind. Uh, but, you know, going out and, and meeting them and telling the story um, that that has led to, honestly, a number of hirings here in Phoenix, a very diverse market um, that has only strengthened our team. Um, and so not being afraid to be a little bit proactive as well. So with Chicago, with it being a street race, and again, you're starting from scratch effectively. So where are you, I assume, hiring people that are local because there's so much work that has to be done physically there. So probably not a lot of people with racing backgrounds. So you're having to hire people that are event people, I guess, right? So what's that process been like? We really are. And, and it's, a, it's a great question. And I think right now, um, just the, the Chicago market has been incredibly welcoming and the amount of connections that I've had um, made for me already, just opening doors, um, people that are interested, they're intrigued. Uh, this is something new um, that they want to be a part of. Somebody, you know, people that I've met so many people that have been fans of racing um, in some way, shape or form that are like, tell me more, how do we get involved? Um, and whether it's a, a full-time position or just, you know, again, opening doors, making connections, um, participating from a philanthropic uh, perspective, uh, that's been in, that's been really, really fun to see. And I think it's leading us down uh, so many new roads that honestly, I wasn't quite sure um, where we were gonna go or how it was gonna come together. Um, there's just so many things that are being presented um, that I need to hire more people now <laughs> to help us, but it's, it's fantastic. Um, and I think it is, you know, giving a little bit of an education about what we do. Um, but the fact that we're doing something that hasn't been done before is intriguing. And that's allowing us to tell our story um, and bring new people in. And I assume it's obviously a multi-year contract because it would have to be. So I just can't even imagine that, you know, the undertaking, uh, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of little details, but, um, and I, so, and I mean, I, I would imagine that you have people within your network that are kind of helping that have done street races before, or are you just kind of jumping, jumping in the deep end? No, well, I'm jumping in the deep end. This is my first three race, um, but definitely have a, a tremendous um, amount of knowledge around me um, from our internal design and development team um, that has extensive experience just building um, and putting things together, but also leaning on experts that have put on street races, um, best practices, key learnings. Um, I am uh, like as many conversations and as many people as I can surround myself with that to me, just to make sure that we um, put on the absolute best uh, event possible for the city of Chicago and for NASCAR our industry um, as a whole. So uh, it's been a lot of fun, but I it's it's you're right. It's so much different than a fixed facility. Um, and but I've really enjoyed it and it's going to be a fun several months. Absolutely. We'll be watching for sure. I think it's amazing. I think it's a testament that uh, all of us are in places that we probably wouldn't have necessarily dreamed for ourselves. And um, that is probably no accident. I think, again, it's personality type that gets us to places, but it's being open to opportunity. I want to thank all of you for being here today and sharing your own ideas and your own stories. And hopefully it was helpful for people at home or in their offices. I still assume everybody's working remotely from home, but no, people are actually in buildings now, like the good old days. Well, thank you so much. What, thank what you. a fascinating session. And if you judge by the uh, activity on the chat, I think uh, you guys nailed it. So please stay with us a few more seconds, Julie, Alba, and Laurie. We're going to move you back to attendees. That way you can come back anytime you want to watch other sessions. It was a privilege to have you. We're thanking you so much. And Beth, uh, this is the first session on Women in Motorsport. We have another one coming with Lynn, and we're going to be focusing and on the, the driver's side, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about Absolutely, that? yeah. Lynn has gathered a few drivers to talk about their, their journey, the current state of driving, where, where drivers, what they have uh, in the future, um, different series that are emerging and kind of what, what has been, um, you know, what, what skills a driver needs sometimes outside of the cockpit to be uh, successful. 
Yes, and that's uh, going to be a very, very good one. So, Beth, thank you so much. And uh, what a great session. Uh, was fascinating. And I know Judy attended the event in North Carolina. You had a blast there, Judy, right? Yeah, sure did. And, and Beth, you put together a great panel because I know I've heard of Julie through Ken Clapp. He thinks the world of her. Alba saw her at your event, but John Bigford at Hendrick adores her. So what a panel. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. Registering on ePARTRADE is easy. To start, click on the Join for Free button on the homepage. First, search your company to see if it's already in our database. If you see your company on the list, click on it to select it. Then, choose Claim Company if you are one of the decision makers, an owner, marketing person, or main company contact. Or choose Join Company if you are an employee, and press Continue. If you couldn't find your company in our database, select Register a New Company. On the following page, fill out your name, email, phone number, job title, and choose a secure password. If you chose Register a New Company, you'll need to choose your business type. Select Supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose Racing Business if you're looking to source new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose Race Team if you own or are a member of a professional race team. Then, enter your company name. Please provide a website, Facebook page, or LinkedIn if you have one, and choose to either claim or join the company. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Finally, click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. An email will be sent to your inbox. Please confirm your email address and you will be approved shortly. Welcome to ePartrade.